And welcome to another episode of Detective Writer. I'm your host, Sally, aka Detective Writer, and today I am super duper excited to introduce all of you to a fellow author, Lancelot Sherbert. Lancelot, thank you so much for being here. I'm so I'm so excited that you're here. Yeah, thanks so much. And you know, I don't know if you can hear the music in the background, but Brooklyn says hi. Oh yeah. So, I live you know. in I live in New York too, so I can definitely hear that. I Yeah, yeah. There's I like two oceans that. between us though, you know. So. Really? I have no well, idea. Really. <laughs> I have no it's, idea it's because just, you know, it's <laughs> I look at Brooklyn. I haven't. I've only been to Brooklyn like maybe once or twice. And my mom used to work in Brooklyn before she retired, and she would say, "Oh, oh wow, I don't know this part of Brooklyn. I don't know this part of Brooklyn." And I would say, "I'm sorry, ma'am. You worked in over 30 years in Brooklyn, and you can't tell me where to go." <laughs> Where'd she work? Um, do you, um, by she was by the city hall. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a great, that's a great area. That's where Brooklyn uh, Book Festival is every year. That's really cool. Um, yeah, all the tables are out there. So, I gotta tell you, I find it super interesting to hear that you're literally on the road because I thought like so many New Yorkers don't drive at all, <laughs> and I don't drive at all, so I'm absolutely terrified. So to oh, hear yeah, other I'm people driving foot. in the I'm city, on foot. really? You are? Oh my gosh. Can I ask do you? Do you know how to drive at all? Do you, do you know how to drive? Because I don't. <laughs> now, sorry, what was that? I'm sorry. Can you hear me? I was just asking. Do you know how to drive? Because I don't. <laughs> I'm terrified. Oh no, I know how. Yeah. Can I ask you? Just what do you say? What would you say is the best thing about living in New York? I feel like for me, uh, aside from the uh, the absolute utter terror of not knowing how to drive, I think this city is just. It's amazing, and it, but it has its good or its bad ways. You know what I mean? Like I feel like it's just a melting pot, and I love that. What would you say is the best thing that you love about living in New York? Well, right now we're looking at a Harvest Moon all the way up 47th Street, which is the size of like a great golden one dollar bill, and that's kind of rare. That's amazing. Um, it's I think it's the Harvest Moon. I don't know. It's huge right now. I thought, I thought there was actually an emergency on the street because my wife kept punching my arm like look 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 and I, I was like what? I thought someone was like coming down the street to like I was gonna have to <laughs> hang up real quick yeah so it turns out there's a massive moon and so there's like there's these weird things like that that happen it's really cool that's happening right now but um you know Manhattan Hinge is the one that's always on Instagram but I wrote a poem at one point um I think it's in the Greenwood Poet poem yeah um, but it's uh, at the end of every alley there stands a timeless tower and it's this weird feeling where you're like you're walking down the street and you'll turn and it's an angle on like but this one angle works and because you're in the middle of commuting you don't know where you are or you know like necessarily how to get back to that spot and so there are these like fleeting moments of beauty that just capture you like right now like the harvestment is now above the cloud bank and it's gone like that was it that oh, wow that's incredible. five seconds you know like like werewolf style golden disc at the end of the street that we walk up i don't know how many times in a year you know you um, love i feel it. like that happens a lot like with masonry and i feel like it happens with like oh i'm just going to the library today oh they have 
Hunter S. Thompson's journals or Virginia Woolf's journals, you know, um, beauty that gets covered up because you get your head gets down and in the concrete and steel of it, like you just pay attention and have these discerning moments and really, really shocking stuff happens. Um, a lot of like light at the end of the tunnel moments. So, does that make sense? Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm usually out in the city for you, and I feel like there's just like a, the whole sky, and I find it just peaceful. It's just utterly amazing. And can I also also say that's a lot? Congratulations on your debut novel. Can I ask you? Oh, thanks. Of course. Can I ask you personally, like, what inspired you to become a writer? What did you? Was your personal oh, yeah. motivation? I mean, part of it. Part of it's interesting because I really honestly believe that everyone is a writer. Everyone has, everyone says that. Like, I think I got a book in me. And the reality is, like, there's a part of thinking through, like, learning how to, you know, think for yourself and speak for yourself and become articulate from what is on the inside and putting it out there for other people to understand you that everyone needs to be writing at some point, on some level. It doesn't mean you need to be a novelist or, a, yeah. you know, publishing. To be able to process fully and become articulate and stand as tall as you can, you know, a roll of toilet paper or whatever, my dad immediately turns it into a football. And, and so everything is always meaning something else with him. And, and, um, and those experiences teach you very quickly to say well, what if this story what if that and so i i didn't think it was that young um but i went back and i found a lot of my journals and stuff from when i was like or classroom assignments from when i was in kindergarten and first grade uh when my father passed and there's like all of these amazing moments of like not just writing stories but actually wanting to be a writer and then I had some pretty harsh teachers that discouraged that. And I grew up in a region that, like, you know, 25,000 square miles, about 1.2, 1.3 million people. So about population of the Bronx with, like, literally one bookstore. Um, so, you know, if that happens in, like, three Bostons, like, people freak out. But when it happens in the Bronx and it happens in Southern Illinois, like people just kind of like turn a blind eye to it. Yeah, so men were discouraged from reading or made fun of by other men for reading. And so the guys I knew that did read did it kind of privately. Boys were often discouraged in classroom environments. And so um, there were a couple of teachers that were exceptions to that, really poor in So I don't know, it's kind of a complicated answer, but in some ways it was I'm like, always in other ways it was suppressed until it was allowed to flourish again. Um, partly through the romantic poets of Beowulf and the Inklings and partly through um, my senior year, believe it or not, I encountered uh, The Notebook by Nicholas Sparks. Um, yeah, so I'd read tons, gobs and gobs of other books, but in terms of me as a writer, here's this carpenter, and my, I come from a line of carpenters, who read all of these classic poets that I was like reading and was also writing his own poetry and yet was not seen as like you know weak for that <laughs> thanks for your patience with me um the uh you know like very, he was seen as stronger issues he had clearly but um i don't i don't you know and so that very much people you know i want to be a comedian oh well you're never gonna make it to the tonight show Wait, hold on. I didn't say I wanted to be exactly. comedy. I said 
you know, or or uh, what was a really good one? You know, like I want to be a scientist. Oh, so you think that you're something big? You're gonna own the next SpaceX? It's like no, I just I said that I want to study astrodynamics. Like lay off, you know, as if as if it has to be this huge competitive thing, and that's not even what art is at all. Like you have an opportunity to express in a unique voice and place and time your community in the Bronx, like. And also anything you imagine from out of that community about other communities, and so that's a really beautiful thing. And so there's that. And then when you think about traditional publishing, what really brought your what really brought your interest to discuss detective work? Like detect, I know that you said that you were writing stories about a detective called. So like, what really brought about、yeah. your interest and motivation to write about that detective? Um. Yeah. So um. Well, at some point, you know, there's a the book by Booker. Um, six basic plots, and you know that book is just like there's only there's only six stories. Tolstoy said there's only two stories:、uh, a man goes on an adventure and a strange strange man comes to town, or a person rather. You know,、um, so I think that you know mystery wrapped up in either of those stories is pretty fundamental to the human experience. And so there's this deep down in there, but Snatch specifically,、um, yeah, I read broadly and I try to write in every genre. And for him, I was thinking a lot about a lot of really jaded friends that I had in the Midwest and also a lot in New York who treat they treat the universe as if it's like only physical, as if there's like nothing but what the five senses. See and experience. Never mind that there are plenty of other senses.、Um, and so I wanted a character who was like that, <clears throat> paired up with another character who was basically a fairy,、um, but no one knew he was a fairy. He just snatch alone knows he's a fairy and is in denial about it.、Um, and so these mysteries are kind of anti mysteries in a way that like. Snatch always thinks he's solving some sort of like heinous crime, and there's like a more rational, simpler explanation. Like someone was a sociopath, you know, or、yeah. someone is running an underground ring of X, Y, Z. Like, like all of these like crazy, crazy, you know, bleakness of humanity. That is where his mind goes. And this fairy's like, well, or like this could have happened, and that、nah, that can't be the case. And then like, sure enough, it's the case.、Um, so,、um, yeah. So I just kind of like the idea. I hope you don't mind me asking that a lot, but I remember that you said that you also wanted to discuss a little bit about the Shakespeare murder that occurred in your home country. Is that something that you still feel comfortable discuss? Definitely、yeah. want to hear about, like. Max, like, what really wanted you? What motivated you to want to discuss that case? Well, it's it's an interesting case. It was unsolved,、um, and it, you know, my first、um, my first novel was about、um, Southern Illinois. It was four generations of carpenters、um, kicking an oil company out of the state using practical jokes, pranks. Um, so it's very, it's a picaresque, like a lot of like you know, Don Quixote or like a lot of honestly Spanish language works. Even like the name of the wind when it was translated into Spanish was really well received.、Um, so it's it's got that serialized feel, not serialized, but like episodic feel of a knight errant going from thing to thing. And 
so being in southern illinois and me thinking about writing about the next generation i um you know i started digging around for other stories and there's there's a main story uh mostly about the the Toka oil terminal there the end of the um keystone pipeline and the dakota access pipeline um but uh the secondary story was this murder and it happened in Centralia. I grew up in Salem, but it happened in Centralia, Illinois. And um, it was this man who owned a company um, called Shakespeare Oil that was murdered very brutally in his basement. And there was some serious stuff about the case that, like, it looks like evidence was, you know, covered up or withheld. And there's, like, different pieces with like John Wayne Gacy and like um, certain like underground criminal rings around the time there were a couple of drifters in the area at the time like there were just like several threads of like the weirdest possible explanation you could think of for the way this man died and none of them come to any sort of culmination um, so there's some people that have talked about it on a couple of different podcasts and stuff, but it's like very wealthy son of this guy that invented a specific fly fishing lure or something. Uh, his name was William Shakespeare. I'm not making that up in Michigan. And, um, he like passed down this, um, lure to his son. And then his son went and bought up all these oil fields in Southern Illinois and moved down there. And at one point sold like 30 Bugattis, like the really fancy car. Um, you know, like to just like an insane amount of money. And so he was just kind of this like rich playboy in, um, you know, in the area, in the oil industry. Um, and then from there, like got murdered and they still don't know why and so that's just so i mean i i you know everyone has like different things that attract them to different stories but i feel like with this one there's a very real sense in which like this happened 20 minutes from my house you know um and like it's it's a it's a guy whose last name is shakespeare his dad was william shakespeare he's connected to oil um it's like tethered with all of these other things he's he had a fishing empire prior to that my dad was a similar pro fisherman i mean not like crazy he just like fished in like a couple of redmond tournaments like and his record is on the site you know it's not like this huge thing but it is an element of our family history and so there's like all these connection points and just like still no one knows what happened like it was, it was either covered up or like was so you know for lack of a better term expertly executed that it yeah it just was crazy i don't know i mean maybe it doesn't seem weird to you it seems like crazy that's really interesting yeah his name was john john shakespeare um so he um you know you and i can i can email you the some of the links to the stuff but like there's not a lot on it like there was some significant reporting done in the situation when it initially happened and there just hasn't been a lot 
um, since then. Things, or they need to like go back into the evidence history or what. But you know, one way or another, there's just like not. It just doesn't seem like there's a concerted effort to figure out how this millionaire got murdered in his basement, like tied to a pole, like just really awful, awful stuff. So, um, but yeah, if you went to Salem, Illinois, you would see like right in downtown Shakespeare Oil Company, like with like cursive letters on the brick. So, you know, it, it features that in a way, but like the character I made is I, nothing like the real person. I, you know, I hope they find the person that actually killed this guy. I have no ill wishes for the family or anything. And, um, you know, it was just, it was just something that I could probably draw a little bit of attention to and, and using and use as kind of a subplot. So. I remember even thinking about the Black Dahlia case, you know, I'm not sure if you've heard of it. It's a woman who was murdered in 1940. What is it that people gain when they do things like this? And I'm just, I'm only hoping that hope by having discussions like this, maybe we can help bring more awareness so that hopefully one day these cases do get solved, you know? Yeah, I hope that. And I, you know, I can't speak fully to the question you asked, but there's, a, there's an old phrase, you know, whose consciences are seared. Um, and I think that's what happens a lot of times is like, there is a point at which if you keep forming really bad habits in your life, those tend to compound over time and you can get to a point where you sear your own conscience and that should, that should sober us all. Like, you know, the, I think the best thing, it's like the end of the Sufjan song about John Wayne Gacy Jr., you know, to mention that, that Illinois murderer. Yeah. Um, you know, in my best behavior, I'm really just like him. Look beneath the floorboards for the secrets I've hid is the Sufjan song. And Sufjan's talking about himself. Uh, he's not a murderer, but he's saying, he's saying, my bad, mea culpa. I, I want to carry myself with a sober mind and not think that, you know, I am incapable of searing my own conscience and developing the kind of bad habits that would turn me into this kind of person. And so, you know, so one of the things I encourage, you know, whether we solve the cases or not, it's just like, man, like hang out with people that really want the best for you, for you to become a good, beautiful, true person rather than just rich or powerful or successful or pleased or famous or, or you know, honored at some award ceremony, like actually good. And then form really good habits and become like a really decent, true, beautiful human being. Um, and yeah, I think I think that's that's the best explanation I can have for that, that first question. But I do hope I do hope that people <laughs> find out what happened. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of things. You know, the first novel featured Bloody Williamson. Um, there's just a lot of things about the region that I'm kind of privy to having been around there that not a lot of people have written about because people don't write a lot, read a lot from the region. Um, so I'm trying to fix some of them. I even found that if you can't really say it, you can write it down. Journaling can be really healing for a lot of people. And I find that for some people who I've even spoken to where they said that they felt like they had lost their voice because they had gone through traumatic situations, writing for them had felt like they were bringing themselves back. Because while they couldn't openly discuss what had happened in their lives, they were able to write about it and able to just speak so clearly because they knew that they weren't going to be judged because they were writing it down. And writing, they think that a lot of people have said that writing saved their lives. Yeah, I think... Um... I don't know that I would say writing saved my life, but certainly like um, myths and the 
you know, romantic poets did, guys like Shelley and Keats and um, Byron, you know, the Beowulf stories, I mentioned the Inklings, you know, that kind of, the romantics and the, the Neoplatonic thinkers, like, you know, helped me lead into the philosophy behind it. And definitely something that saved me from and also helped me understand the community I was raised in, um, both the city and the high school and, and even like the church environment, like a lot of those things uh, gave me words for that. And then kind of the writing followed as, you know, to, to come up with my own ways of expressing some of those things. So I certainly consider myself an amateur. I'm not, I'm not an expert. Um, I have a long, long way to go before I measure up to any of the voices on my shelf. Yeah, no, it's so, it's something to celebrate for sure. I'm not I'm not denying that. Um, but I, I, it's very much a not resting on your morals sort of thing where it's like you know the guys the guys and gals I'm aiming for you know are voices like Sappho and Augustine and like you know and Dostoevsky and Dickens and I I know I will never obtain that and so but to strive towards those guiding lights you know austin and you know i I don't know there's just so so many people in in history um that have said and written amazing things gabriel garcia marquez is another one you know jorge louis borges another one like so um yeah i don't know i you know i'm not gonna go on listing authors forever but but, but it just like those that's kind of what i have in mind is like i I know that I have not, probably will not arrive, but I am grateful that I am certainly, certainly a better writer than I was 10 years ago. And I think if I would have known how long it would take me to figure out how to write a story on a very basic scene to sequence level, I might never have started. Um, But I'm probably among anyone that has spent any amount of time trying to become an expert or or at least competent at anything um so i i take comfort in knowing i'm not alone in that but um you know i came out, i came across a book recently techniques of the selling writer it was in the written in the 80s by a pulp writer it's distilled probably 20 of the best pieces of advice I've read in 20 different writing books over the last in abstract sense, but didn't know how to put them on paper. And it, I was like, man, this, this would have saved me at least three years if I would have encountered this at the end of my college career uh, or even mid-college, you know, like, um, so I, I would recommend picking up a copy of that one for sure. Um, I found it through my friend Emily Monroe, who's a writer in the city, who found it through Sharon Lee, who's a sci-fi fantasy author. Um, which you should come you should come <laughs> definitely i don't mind you let me know i live in the city too yeah, yeah. of course i would be more interested in hear a little bit about your work and journey actually was in a similar boat as well as you lancelot i i started i wrote my book when i was 20 in college and i remember my professor in creative writing in college she had this prompt she said that if you could if there was another version of you in the world or in another universe they looked exactly like you but they did not they were the complete opposite of you how would they be like and i really started to think about that and i had this dream of a woman who looked exactly like me and she was in my own words a total badass 
someone who could defend herself, someone who could stand up for herself. And for a two to three page assignment, I submitted over 50 pages to my professor. I think it was, she said, if you submitted 56 pages, you obviously have something to say, so please continue. Then the week after, I submitted like 95 pages. I, it's the really interesting thing. Um, I actually was inspired to write my book because um, when I was in middle school, I had gone through severe bullying um, for three years. And I, it took I'm me sorry a about that. Thank you. You know, that maybe I had done something wrong. And it always bothered me that for years, even as I was growing older, that I had such low self-esteem and such a low confidence in myself. And I thought, wow, if I had been a stronger person, if I had been the character in my book who could stand up for herself, who had been able to say, no, this is not right. I don't appreciate you doing this to me and not thinking that it was her fault because she because people are attacking her i kept thinking you know what why not try to heal myself through my character and at first i thought that me and my character were completely different but as i started to get to know my character more and really starting to develop my story i realized you know it took me a long time to heal from being bullied and even trying to discuss it and even though I never like really discussed what happened in those three years I was able to I'm I was aiming to hope and to show anyone that you know no one deserves to be harassed bullied or talked down to but I do hope that you know it's 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 been my continued hope that even through having a podcast through having a blog through making a book that we have the right to live our lives as, peace, as peacefully as possible. And I only strive to be the best me, version of me I can be. People are either going to support me or not, but my head still goes high. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good word, you know. So it sounds like the ego is the enemy kind of stuff. You know, it's, it's like, you know, you can be as good as you can be and, and that has to be sufficient, you know, comparing yourself to who you were and that's that's all there's no other comparison needed other than a better version of me you know um i i spent a long time thinking that maybe it was something i had done maybe something i had said or thinking that if i had been a stronger person then maybe everything that i had gone through would not have happened to me but it took me a long time especially deciding to talk about it in college that you know bullying is never it's never anyone's fault. And even for the kids who never asked for an apology, I still forgive them now because I feel like in a way, my life experiences is to make us stronger. And for me, I feel like I could say writing really helped save my life because I I don't want to be a person that's, li- that's living off of anger, hatred. Oh my gosh, yeah, I just got a Nabokov's like second, Webster's second edition dictionary. Um, like one of the old, old ones. Really? Yeah, it's a six-inch spine. I was like, yeah, this is cool. I was like, oh, surely I surely I know like a good chunk of these, right? Like English is my native language. And I opened the first page and I knew that like six of the 20 on the A page. I'm like, oh, I've made a terrible, <laughs> terrible mistake. No, it's, it's a learning process. Yeah, but like to, to think, you know, like because I've dabbled in. Span- I mean, like, I took Spanish in high school, but I don't, I'm not, 
you know, like I just, I would consider that dabbling. Like, you know, the thing I know probably the most is Greek, but I've, you know, I've dabbled in Latin and other, other things. I'm like, happy to teach you Spanish if you ever but, want yeah, to. Yeah, teach me, please, please. I'm I can, an eager, eager, voracious learner. But yes, I, of course. I can also show you how to read and write. I'm yeah. still trying to write a little better, but I'd like to think that I still... I still feel like I'm more Spanglish than Spanish, but I'm... Yeah, that'd be great. I would, I would love to learn. But yeah, it, it's... It, I mean, dabbling in other languages, I think, can trick you into thinking like you really know your own. Um, even like going to college, those sorts of things. Like, But we stop learning vocabulary in like the seventh grade. And we don't start again until we specialize. Exactly. And that's actually really problematic because I'm getting in the middle of this. I'm like... I don't even know my own language. And like, uh, by like other people's standards, I know like a, a decent number of words and I use words that people, but like we're so actively dumbing ourselves down and our language in a day-to-day basis is becoming so functionally illiterate because we're not using the full body and breadth of what is English. Um, that I'm just like reading like the first two pages of this dictionary. I'm like, holy smokes. Like... I, I know nothing about this language. I've written, I've written a million words in this language. I still know nothing about it, um, and it, it was just really a humbling experience. So I would, I would love to be so humbled in Spanish. You know, it was like King Charles said that there was a, a man who uh, uh, who learns another language has another soul or something like that. That the potential that writing has, the utter creativity, the emotion, the imagination. I yeah. love that. Yeah, and it's and and you're talking about two, two very, like, you know, older, massive languages, Spanish and English, um, just bountiful uh, in the way that they approach. They're both um, kind of, you know, cannibalize other a lot, you know, um, and and you know, we'll say of English a lot of times that it it is a language that goes down. But I'm not- Sure, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you would define it, but I think you understand what I'm saying. Where it's like yeah. it's it's borrowing as much as it's creating, and so it just makes them very big. And so I would I would my assumption would be though I I'm not as I said an expert in Spanish or Spanish history or any of those things, but my assumption would be that there's probably just a, a humbling amount of the language with how many different dialects there are and how how old it is, how great of a language it is that. Um, that there's probably an equal-sized dictionary out there that would that would so humble me if I was a native speaker, you know. Yeah. Um, so that's yeah, that's cool that you had that experience. Learn how to speak Mandarin or Cantonese or Japanese. I I don't think I will ever reach that point. Be- yeah, I think the ancient Greek word for bathroom is just whole. Whole? Um, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I. I mean, I, I'm happy to steer you in the right direction. Um, it's a, there's a lot of it, but there's, there's also a lot of Greek speakers in the city that, that will pronounce ancient Greek in a modern tongue, like they're Greek speakers, Eastern Orthodox speakers specifically, and they'll, they'll, they'll use that. And they're actually right around where you're at. Um, there's a couple of Eastern Orthodox thinkers, um, at Fordham there in the Bronx and there's some of the leading voices in the country right near back backyard. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, they'd be the ones that are like re-
really, really good at it. And the Green Institute too, and in, and uh, at Brooklyn College. Um, yeah, I'd happily steer you in the right direction. It's a yes. it's a wild thing for sure. A lot of our um, medical and legal words are based on That's Greek amazing. or Latin. I know. If I could ever, if if that invitation is still open to join your community, I promise. Yeah. I would love to join because my yeah, gosh, it's. I feel like there's so many more people to meet, so many people to know about their writing journeys, or even get to know a new language. I'm kind of an introvert, so I feel like I need to definitely come out of my shell. Yeah, no, we'd, we'd happily have you. We, we're, uh, you know, open invite across the board. So yeah, shoot, shoot me an email and, and remind me, and I'll, uh, I'll show you where to go. So. Yeah, of course. If you go to, if you look up Bell Hammers, B-E-L-L-H-A-M-M-E-R-S, Bell Hammers. Um, I would encourage you to get the audiobook version, not just because we're on audio right now, but I actually narrated it myself. That's amazing. And so there are a lot of things that may or may not come through in the text. I'm, I'm not sure if I conveyed them perfectly in the text, but in reading it aloud, there are things that come across that you might potentially miss otherwise, especially international speakers. I found I, I would I did this with a UK podcast, and we were talking about all kinds of regional phrases and things that um, that I just assumed that he was completely ignorant of. Um, so yeah, Bell Hammers and and look up the audiobook. Um, and it's on Spotify, it's on Audible, it's on iBooks, it's in the New York Public Library. Library, I mean wherever wherever fine books are sold or borrowed it should be there so I definitely will um, take a look at that and that's inc- I think oh my gosh I already am so this is super st- this, I'm stoked right now this is just super exciting well thanks for having me yeah I had a lot of fun so yeah, of course. Um, you're more than welcome to, to join up with us you know we're all just kind of learning together so yeah of course you let me know where and when yeah I think um, you know keep going further up and further into the mystery of life as far as the detective side of things goes but as far as writing goes i would encourage everyone listening to take a pen and write down whatever comes to mind tonight like a page nothing big just a page and do a page a day and you'll wake up this time next year and realize you got a 90,000 word book which is kind of shocking when it happens so just you don't have to commit to that just write a page Exactly. and see what happens something something might take take hold of you exactly and I love that this has been such an amazing episode thank you sure. and for those of you who have been listening to this episode I truly hope you've enjoyed I hope you all have a great day morning afternoon evening or night wherever you are in the world please stay tuned for next week and until then keep on soothing